you're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at BuckSexton.com. Welcome back, Texas. That's what it feels like right now. That's how I feel about this. As I hear and, and see the announcement out there that the great state of Texas, Governor Abbott, finally saying enough is enough. We're going to get rid of the statewide mask mandate and lockdown orders next week. Yes. Welcome to freedom. This is Texas telling lockdowners to go Fauci yourself. And it's about time. I'm pleased to see it. No more statewide mask mandate. Business is 100% open. Going to be much closer to normal life as of next week. It seems that Governor Abbott has seen the light. Perhaps he also saw some decline in his polling among Republicans in his state after the deep freeze and the terrible conditions when the power went out. But I think he also has been seeing for a while the leadership that Florida has displayed on this issue and perhaps got a little jealous or just realized, hold on a second, Florida's leading the way. Look, I don't care how somebody gets on to team freedom here. I don't care why they're deciding to abandon the lockdown or mentality. I just want them to do it. I just want our leadership to stop. There's nothing's there's nothing radical about the move that Texas is making here. Cases have been plummeting for weeks. The seven day rolling average is at about seventy six hundred. OK, that's the lowest it has been since October. Cases are plummeting. But of course, as soon as the announcement comes out, the, the lunatic lockdown governors like Gavin Newsom react in the fashion we all know they will. Absolutely reckless. The unctuous fraud Newsom tweeted out in response to the Texas news. It is simply astonishing that after the winter America went through with records set for hospitalizations and deaths across the country, despite months of masking and lockdowns that so many Biden voters still adamantly believe the extended mask mandate is the key to saving us. Actually, it's, it's double masking now, as you know. Dr. Fauci recently discovered that the soon, uh, as soon afterwards the CDC was parroting that guidance. The science can be so convenient in its timing. But convenience has been on the side of the lockdowners all along. Just ask Gavin Newsom, who right after he tells the state of California, no indoor dining for you because the plebs cannot be allowed to uh, spread the coronavirus. He also then is much more able to get indoor reservations at French Laundry for himself. So everybody wins, right? They say it's about the science. It's really not. For so many Democrat governors, for so many people who have been making these decisions, it's all about the politics now. And here's the big problem they have. Texas opening up. No more restrictions. Mississippi Opening up no more restrictions. When I say restrictions, I mean on businesses, right? You can have full operating capacity back. North Carolina, South Carolina, allowing more people in bars. The push to reopen is underway. And I say, let's go. Let's do it. Vaccinations are getting distributed every day. The case, the case number is going down and down and down. If they're really going to claim that we have to keep waiting until the virus is at zero or near zero, uh, they should have to say that now and explain that they, they should show their work on that. Explain why they've moved the goalposts at every point. They've been wrong constantly, and then they've changed the numbers to suit their fancy. Oh, well, we can we can open up when we get to this number. Actually, it's that number. Actually, it's this date. Actually, it's that date. 
We're all dizzy with the BS. And I know I've had enough. Here's the problem for the lockdown governors like New York's Cuomo, California's Newsom, Michigan's Whitmer, New Jersey's Murphy, Pennsylvania's Wolf, Maryland's Hogan. Go down the list. All these different governors. Not, of course, Ron DeSantis, thank God, leading the way to freedom. But if people are able to see over the next even 90 days that the states that get rid of restrictions finally, that now remember, that doesn't mean that at the city level, all restrictions are gone. So there will still be some mask mandates that this is this is a fight that's underway. This doesn't just go away with the snap of a finger. Um, but if we can see over the next 90 days that the caseload continues to decline, that things continue to improve in states like Mississippi and Texas and others who are increasing the freedom and lessening the mitigation and restriction measures that are in place. How will the lockdowners be able to justify at that point what they have put their states through? Let's actually finally run this experiment. I, I wish we could just go with you know one state where people would say, you know what, no, no mass requirements of any kind. Let's see how we do. And then another state nearby with a mask requirement. Remember, mass requirement means this, the force of government saying you must do this or else. I'm not telling anybody, nor have I told anybody, you shouldn't mask, don't mask. You're not allowed to mask. No, the issue here has always been the force of the state and whether or not they have the right to do this and whether or not it's a sensible thing for the state to do. But for an individual, if it makes you feel better, if you, if you think it improves your safety or makes you and your family members feel more comfortable, go for it. See, I believe in freedom. That means the freedom to choose masks, actually, if you want. But no, the state has forced it quite literally over our mouths and in our throats. And that's what we've been going through. But what do these lockdowner states now say? If California continues with restrictions, if New York continues with restrictions on indoor dining and a whole array of things, and then we see the caseload continue to fall, then we see this continue to happen. What are they going to tell us then? Oh, they'll just lie. I mean, they'll never admit this. You understand this has become a religious belief for people. Masks saved us. Did they? Did they really save us? How many people did they save? If you wore a mask at all times in a clinical setting, you changed the mask, you wore it properly fitted. It never left your face. Maybe. But you only have to be unmasked once to get infected. How many people do you see that go into restaurants? How many people do you see the moment the cameras aren't rolling in the media? The mask comes down. It's virtue signaling, mostly. That's what's going on. That's what's been going on by the people in the media that are always, oh, I'm going to wear a mask. I'm going to wear two masks now. Why weren't they doing that months ago? It was so obvious that two masks were better. Why weren't they doing that months ago? Well, they, they won't tell you that. They are terrified now in these Democrat states that people will actually see the truth. And here's a prediction that I want to go back to in six weeks. And I've all, I put this on, on BuckSexton.com. I put an editorial up on my feelings on this. Go read it, please. Go check it out. Uh, you can also always listen to the uh, podcast of the Buck Sexton show there. we got a player at the top of the page now. The trend line for Texas's COVID cases will continue to go down in the same trajectory it's currently on. Even without statewide mitigation and mask mandates, it's going to stay in line with the national decline. This is my prediction, okay? All right, Media Matters. All right, PolitiFact, you morons. This is my prediction. I'm allowed to make a prediction. We'll see if I'm right. We'll, go, we'll come back to this in six weeks. Bruce and Mark is going to... Put this in the calendar, okay? We're going to go middle of April. Let's see if I'm right. 
Texas's trend line for COVID will continue to go down even after it enters a phase of real reopen here. And it's true of other states as well. And then they're just going to ignore it. They're going to look the numbers and they're, they're going to look at the numbers and they're going to say, you know what? We don't care. We still think we're right because their willingness to believe they're right was also the excuse for their control all along. And they are simply desperate to keep controlling your life and to justify their authoritarian power grab over the past year. And plus, they haven't even gotten the chance to leverage the climate emergency yet as a result of this pandemic, right? They haven't been able to use the additional power to that end. But I'm telling you right now, I'm making this prediction. Six weeks out, we'll see how Texas is doing. They're saying there's going to be another surge. There's going to be a big wave. The, the more infectious strains, all this noise from the blue check idiots on Twitter. On Facebook, all this all this chatter from people who think they're so smart, who've been wrong at every turn. I'm the one who's been making predictions in advance and being right over and over again. But they still come at me. They still yell at me, but they're wrong again. I'm screenshotting their hysterics now. I think you should, too, or at least I'll do it and I'll share it with you so I can hold them to account later. Because they've been wrong all along. They are petty tyrants. And it's about time the American people wake up to that. Continued lockdowns are madness texas is with me mississippi is with me florida has been with us all along it's about damn time god bless texas and i think florida has got to make some room on team freedom you're listening to the buck sexton show podcast make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts so today i'm issuing a new executive order that rescinds most of the earlier executive orders Effective next Wednesday, all businesses of any type are allowed to open 100%. That includes any type of entity in Texas. Also, I am ending the statewide mask mandate. Now, I don't think he should have had a statewide mask mandate in the first place, as you know, but better late than never. I've been telling you, I've been pushing here on the show. and We've got a lot of listeners in Texas. I mean, our top states for listenership are California, Texas and New York, which are also along with population, although maybe Florida, actually, which tracks U.S. population. The point, though, is that I've been trying to get the word out here and I even have spoken to people that work in Texas, uh, the Texas GOP recently about this. I'm saying, where is Governor Abbott and what has he been doing? It should have been much better. And people that tell me, oh, but Buck, it's not that bad where I am. Life seems pretty normal. Okay, well, that's good. I'm happy to hear that if you're in Texas. It hasn't been normal in Austin. It hasn't been normal in Houston. It hasn't been normal in Dallas from the people that I talk to who live there. There's all kinds of mask mandates and, you know, indoor dining restrictions, all kinds of stuff going on there. Finally, he's seeing the light. I think it took him too long, but here he is. Is this at some level in response to the disaster of uh, the the freezing storm that came through and shut down power. I'm sure at some level, yeah, his polls have slipped a little bit, but I think I think Texas has also been preparing for this for some time. And they've known, I mean, Florida is getting a lot of attention. I mean, Ron DeSantis is running around. He's number two now behind a former president only. Let's keep that in mind. He's behind Trump when it comes to presidential contenders, according to the CPAC straw poll from from last week. But, I mean, it's a former president, right? Other than that, Ron DeSantis is running away with the field, and it's very clear why. Here he is, play clip 11. I see in many parts of our country 
a sad state of affairs. Schools closed, businesses shuttered, and millions of lives destroyed. This calamitous reality is just the beginning of what will likely be long-term damage to children, to families, and to society. Sow the wind, and you reap the whirlwind. While so many other states kept locking people down over these many months, Florida lifted people up. Florida takes a bow on this one, and, and it should. And there's a reason why so many people have been going down there during the pandemic, either just to escape for a little while like I have or, or to move down there permanently. Florida's economy has been has been going along well. How, how do you explain? I mean, I keep saying this. You look at California, you look at Florida. One lockdown, the other didn't. What did, what did California get for all of its trouble for shutting down all the businesses? Worse numbers than Florida, which was open. Someone explain that to me. Can, can someone ask the CDC to do an analysis of that one? Oh, but, you know, but the compliance and the gibberish. You'll hear gibberish from them. People were wrong about this. Massively wrong. And they were wrong all along. But they don't care. They don't care. They liked they liked to think that they were smarter than everybody else. They like to think that they were the ones that understood what was really happening here. And I, I just want to be very clear with you. I tell you, I see this coming. I see that coming. Uh, you know about double masks. You know about the second. I knew there'd be a second lockdown in New York as well as other places. I knew that schools should have been opened. Last, I was saying in August, schools should be open. OK, here we are in March. Teachers unions still playing these games. It's absurd. It's despicable what they're doing. There's no real justification for this. Doesn't matter. It's about power. It's about politics. They pretend it's about science. And and Fauci is the worst, the absolute worst. This guy should have been fired right away. It was a huge mistake. I, I actually think the 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 decision not to remove Fauci uh, might have cost President Trump reelection. I've gone to that point now. When you see the data on it, it's very clear. If you were a Fauciite, you voted for Biden. You if you had any qualms at all, even just a little bit of willingness to question Fauci, you probably voted for Trump. Remember, this is a guy who openly lied to the American people and then really actually well, what he did was he told the truth the first time. But then he lied about what he said about masks to cover it up because he wanted to push a policy that the Democrats all believed in. And another thing that I've been telling you about, and I it was only a matter of time before we got to this. Here's a doctor on MSNBC. Remember the arguments that I was making in the very beginning of the pandemic? I was saying this is about risk reduction, not risk elimination. We could save a lot of lives by making the speed limit 10 miles an hour, which we absolutely could. The speed limit was 10 miles an hour. You would save thousands and thousands of lives in this country every year. What's the matter? You got to get somewhere so fast. Why not make the speed limit 10 miles an hour? It wasn't a, it wasn't a specious argument. It, it wasn't uh, it wasn't cynical. It was serious. That's a real argument about the trade-offs that society is willing to make to live lives of greater freedom and prosperity in general, knowing that it's not perfect out there. Bad things can happen. But they, they dismissed that argument. And I said, well, if it's so smart to wear masks, if it's so obvious, and we've known all along somehow but just didn't know it, that mass masking was the key to public health during an aerosolized uh, outbreak of virus, why didn't we do it before? Why did tens of thousands of people a year die from flu? They'd say, shut up. It's not the flu. 
I said, okay, but we've established the precedent. You listen to the show, you know, we've established the precedent where in the future we're going to be told you have to mask up for the flu now as well. Turns out that the argument that we were making then that they dismissed is now the argument the lockdowners are making. This is from MSNBC, play three. As we figure out what flu strains have been circulating in places like Australia or South America, which sort of predicts what what strains are likely to come into our our country, there's been so little flu in those those two areas. I I think it's going to be hard for us to try and figure out what flu strains to pick. But you're right. It's if we mask and social distance every winter, we will see a dramatic reduction in flu, which usually causes hundreds of thousands of hospitalizations and tens of thousands of deaths. I wonder whether that would be will be the lesson uh, from this. Yeah, I, I wonder. I, I wonder if if we will just do masking and social distancing every winter, which will which will save hundreds of thousands of hospitalizations, tens of thousands of deaths. You know, maybe it is time to do that. Remember when eight months ago, nine months ago, some of us were saying, OK, get ready to mask up forever because you're going to have to do this for flu too under this construct of the trade offs. It's no big deal, they say. What's the what's the problem? What's the harm? So you can't really breathe normally. So you're constantly uncomfortable. So you're 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 showing that you'll bend the knee to some state mandate that that literally is regulating how you're allowed to breathe. That's what's actually going on. What's the big deal? They said it's just temporary. You sure about that? You sure it's just temporary? I told you they're going to fight for this. And those of you who say, oh, Buck, we don't have to worry about it in my area. Okay, but just wait until they try to figure out a way to make this a federal mandate beyond what it already is. Once people start less, uh, loosening up on the regulations in their states. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Join the conversation and message Buck on Facebook, Instagram, or email teambuck at iheartmedia.com. He may read it on the show. I've been cautioned not to give an answer to that because we don't know for sure. But my hope is by this time next year, we're going to be back to normal and before that. My hope. But again, it depends upon if people continue, continue to be smart and understand that we still can have significant losses there's a lot we have to do yet so thank you yeah another year we still can yeah sure whatever joe says do you does it even feel like joe biden just just take a break for a second from the COVID talk does it even feel like joe biden is the president to you do you really get the sense that this guy is the president of the united states he's you don't really see him all that much kind of just shows up shuffles around mumbles some stuff, you know, waves a hand in the air and refuses to take questions from the press. Basically, <laughs> that's what ends up happening. This guy's the, this is the great leader that they replaced Donald Trump with. This is the guy that we're supposed to think is going to take America to a, a better, brighter, stronger future. Democrats had a lot of chances, a lot of options. This is this is the best they could do. Well, no, the only way that they could actually get the votes they needed to get the power they want was to pretend the Democrat Party is something other than what it really is. And Joe Biden was critical in that effort. The Trojan horse candidate. That's what he was. And now we see the horse is inside the walls of the gates of Troy and the Greeks are coming out of the belly and getting ready to burn the thing to the ground. But okay, we'll have to wait till that happens. We have another year of this. They're telling you. Who does that sound like? Go back. Go listen to some of the old Buck Sexton shows. You can go to BuckSexton.com, play the podcast there. Who? Who, who was saying this for weeks? They were talking about, oh, maybe, you know, Fauci said end of this year, maybe we can go back on masking a little bit. That was three, two, three weeks ago. What did I say? Oh, no. Next, next June, maybe we're normal if Democrats have their way. Next June. And even then, 
You're going to have the, oh, but we reserve the right to be able to shut you down, tell you what to do, lock you in your homes and mask you up any winter where the flu is bad. They're already making that argument out there. It's already it's coming. I've seen this every step of the way, because when you understand what it means for there to be a collaboration between mass media and mass hysteria, you understand what's going to come next. You understand what's a few steps down the road. And that's what's happening here. That's what I see. And then there are those who are completely losing their minds over this. And I can assure you of this. They will not. They simply will not admit they were wrong if and when we see what I'm predicting we will, which is that Texas will be fine. This is not going to result in some explosion in cases. You have a tremendous amount of built-in herd immunity already because this virus has ripped through the country for a year. You have millions of seniors. 50% of seniors in Texas already have the vaccine. By the end of this month, 100% of seniors in Texas, they estimate, will have at least had the opportunity to get the vaccine if they want it. Uh, You're just going to see hospitalizations and deaths plummeting here. And you know what they're going to claim, even though the trend line will be the same as it is right now. There won't be any there won't be even a a a dip, a big dip up or rather a big uh, reversal up and then a plateau for a while. That's what you would expect if this was. But they'll say, oh, well, we could have the trend could have been even faster. It's their their ideas, their beliefs on this are unfalsifiable. <laughs> look at California, look at Florida. They just ignore it. We ran the experiment. They were wrong. That's where we are. Ron DeSantis says it. God bless him. It's so nice to have a public official with credibility and brains who's out there, who is in charge of a state, who says, look what we did. Look what they did. Our way was better. Full stop. Fauciism is a nightmare. Didn't help. Full stop. But, oh, man, over at Morning Joe, when they're, you know, going between houses, you know, they they do the Morning Joe show in Florida. By the way, they don't do it in New York. That's these anchors are taping it uh, elsewhere and they tape it. They're in the same house, of course, because, you know, they left more. Joe and Mika left their families to marry each other as hosts on the show. That's a whole other thing. But uh, they, they do it in the same house and they, they tape separately. Um, but, you know, when they're going between the Hamptons, the Vineyard, you know, Palm Beach or where, wherever, whatever fancy part of Florida they're in, uh, going from, you know, one multimillion dollar home to another Well, essential workers are making sure the heat is still on in their homes, making sure the air conditioning is working, bringing them food, cleaning their homes, doing the laundry, their hedges, you know, all that stuff. Right. But they're good people because they mask and they listen to Fauci. Yeah. So concerned about those essential workers, all these all these elite limousine libs. Double masking in their in their Facebook photos and on their Twitter, in their Twitter profiles while Uber eats drivers show up and bring them their uh you know sauteed scrod oh care so much about the the less fortunate who are suffering from covid lockdown forever as long as i'm still getting paid half a million dollars a month or whatever who what do i care right that's the attitude they have Uh, but they're very upset about texas and the decision that's being made here place seven well i mean and again you 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 look at uh, CPAC and the people that got the biggest cheers there, not the people that are going to win elections, mind you, but the people who got the biggest cheers there were the people that were most reckless and irresponsible. Ron DeSantis, which uh, he's used his stupidity uh, on addressing COVID as actually his calling card for running for president in 2024. 
Uh, he's ahead in a lot of those straw polls in CPAC. Christy Nome, who uh, was stupid enough, uh, thought she was being cool on 4th of July uh, to say, we're having this big event and no, you don't have to wear masks and no, there's not going to be social distancing. This was back in July, of course, when uh, we were in, obviously, like now, we're, we're in the middle of it. What the heck is he talking about? Is he just spewing lies and propaganda? Florida was right. We have the data. We have the numbers. Compare Florida to California. And, and then, you know, California is roughly twice the size of, Cal- uh, of, uh, of Florida. But you look at it on a per capita per 100,000 residents basis, more hospitalizations, more deaths in California than Florida. And they've had months and months and months of extreme lockdown, a ban on outdoor dining in California. How'd that go for them? Masks. Oh, my gosh. If you my friends who live in L.A., they say if you go in someplace without a mask on, you are you're a murderer. Do people realize that anytime they see somebody with a mask, there's over a 99% possibility that that individual is 100% healthy and does not have COVID? Think about how much our mentality has been corrupted here by the panic porn merchants. Think about how much anxiety has been inflicted upon the American people and all the psychological disorders and the the drug abuse and the suicides and the self-harm reporting. Self-harm reporting among children has skyrocketed during this. And they said it was saving so many lives to put us in this through this misery. Really? Where where was that the case? You have states that have 100 percent effective Democrat control that were that were disciples of Fauci. Listen to it every at every turn. And yet. Did they have the best results? New York, California, New Jersey, the worst states in the country, Massachusetts, the worst states in the country for COVID-19. That, that seems so strange because I thought they were listening to the science. I thought they were listening to the data. Whatever that means. Nope. Anything to beat orange man bad, anything to, uh, to beat Trump. That was the uh, policy that they were running for COVID. And Trump was the cause of COVID. That was the other ridiculous narrative that was popping up here. And just remember this. They're, they're not going to let this go. Even when the numbers show that they're wrong, they can't ever accept. They will never admit that they were wrong. Here's the mayor of Texas. Remember this guy who he flew to Mexico and he told everybody else to like shelter in place and wear a mask? That guy? Mayor of Texas, Steve Adler. Here's what he says. Play 12. You know, it's not based on the science and data, so it's based on something else. And then it could be uh, the criticism here associated with the power going out. It could be the criticism he's getting from 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 the really far right people in the in the state uh, who have been complaining about uh, masking from the very beginning. Uh, But but. It's not the science and the data. We know that when we did this in Texas, cities stepped out first. The state came along later. Uh, the numbers started going down. Every time we have opened up the economy too soon, we've started to see a, a surge again. And that's the concern. And especially here, you know, if you are under 65 and an essential worker, uh, you're about to be put into the position where you, you don't qualify for the vaccine, you can't protect yourself, and now you're going to be this frontline worker uh, around people potentially that don't wear masks. I can only hope 
that our community recognizes we still have a choice. Regardless of what the governor did, we can still choose in our city to, to act like we do have a mask mandate, for people to continue to wear it, for businesses to continue to require it, uh, and that's what we're going to have to do. Please keep locking down the Austin mayor, Steve Adler, I think is a Texas mayor. He is technically a Texas mayor, but not of Texas. Uh, Steve Adler of Austin here. Still wear a mask, still require the social distancing and all this stuff. Until when? Notice how they pretend that there's a there's a definitive answer here. If you look at the data, if you look at the science, there's an answer. What is the answer? They should tell us that. When the deaths are what? When the hospitalizations are what? When the cases are at what level? They can't tell you that. You know why? Because this is a judgment call. This is about what is reasonable, what is acceptable risk for people in society. And the mayor of Austin seems to think that acceptable risk is zero. Whereas the governor of Texas says there are competing values, competing goods in life. And your 100% safety from an aerosolized virus does not outweigh literally everything else in society piled on top of each other. That's not how this works. It's a policy judgment. It's not science. This was one of the fundamental lies of this whole thing. Oh, just look at the data and, you, and, and whatever Fauci says, that's the objective truth. No, this was always about judgment. This was always about weighing pros and cons, but they didn't let us do that. They said lockdown or else peasant. We're in charge now. And it's all Donald Trump's fault. This virus is out there. So now put that buffoon, that, that quasi senile imbecile Joe Biden in place. Yeah, go for that. That's what's supposed to happen here. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So, Mayor, he's basically saying people have to make a living. They have to put food on their table. Well, I would say that the decision uh, actually operates in stark contrast to that. Uh, when we, we find that we are eliminating the mask mandate, uh, then we are putting more people in jeopardy uh, and consequently can see the numbers rise. Uh, and when we see those numbers rise, then we will have to make the decision of how we operate an economy in the presence of COVID-19. That is what has led to the restrictive businesses in the first place. Uh, and so fortunately, the city of Jackson has the ability to be more restrictive than the state. And so we will maintain our mask mandate. And that is an effort not only to protect lives, uh, protect families, but to protect businesses as well. Uh, when we initiated the mask mandate prior to the state, uh, we did so because we were learning how to to uh, how to to navigate or, or author our own solutions in the midst of this pandemic. Uh, and that is considering both uh, life and, and protection of life. And it is considering uh, economic well-being as well. How long will you maintain your mask mandate? Uh, until health experts, until my COVID task force, which is populated uh, with medical experts who are informed on on the subject, uh, who are following the data of the CDC, uh, until they advise that it is it is uh, appropriate to do so until a bunch of local health bureaucrats in Jackson, Mississippi, according to the mayor here, say it's OK. It's not OK. Oh, isn't that interesting? So they just have this power now to do this. Understand that if we really take this to its uh, this its ultimate ends, what what some of these individuals are claiming really is that if a bunch of local health bureaucrats said that. Everybody had to be quarantined for six months, couldn't leave your home on pain of arrest. They have that power because they're health experts and do whatever they want. 
They can be as dumb and as wrong as they want for as long as they want. And you have no recourse, no say over this other than, you know, whenever the next election comes up. But good luck getting there, given the authoritarianism underway right now. People have asked me before, what can you do? Well, first of all, Mississippi, as you may know, if you've looked at covid charts as often as I have, has had a a very high rate of of mortality from from COVID-19 already. Uh, I think it's in the top 10 worst states. And they had these mask mandates in place. They did all these things they're supposed to do. Didn't stop it. No surprise, but didn't stop it. When I say stop it, can you just show me one U.S. state that on a per capita basis, you know, is is 50 percent or 70 percent less than uh, one of the more open states? No, you can't. It's not there. Everywhere got hit by this pretty badly. The biggest determinants were population density and you know urban conditions. Well, those go hand in hand, but those are the those are the biggest things, the biggest issues. All this other stuff is just people making a lot of noise about how we're going to control it. Remember, we're going to stop the virus. Remember, Biden said this is what Biden said. We're going to shut down the virus, not shut down the economy. This was just idiot propaganda. No, they shut down the economy and didn't shut down the virus. That's what actually happened. People have asked me, what can you really do here? What can you, uh, how can you turn this around? And I say, here's, uh, here's an opportunity. When the state government says there's no need for this anymore, are you going to obey your local government? Or are you going to engage in civil disobedience over this issue? There may be fines. Some people may even get arrested over it. How long do you think they're going to lock you up over a mask violation? Well, if enough people in Jackson, Mississippi, decide that they're going to get locked up over it, maybe the mayor will have to realize that this is stupid, this is tyrannical, and it's not actually helping anything. So there's an opportunity. It wouldn't work here in New York City because they would. They'll. They'll. If I if I go out there and I don't have a mask on, I try to go into a store or something, they will lock me up, and everybody in New York City will say, "Yep, that's right." So I bow to superior force, not to superior argument. In in my particular location in this country because we've got the lockdown libs it's you know eight or nine to one democrat in the five boroughs and so they they really want to just just ride the fauci train to the very end for other places jackson mississippi certainly comes to mind this may be an opportunity to say no enough enough you're gonna how i'm gonna ask you how impressive do you think the health bureaucrats in the city of jackson mississippi really are you think they got a bunch of geniuses sitting around running health health policy in Jackson, Mississippi, or, or any city for that matter? But let's think about this for a minute. I mean, look at what a bunch of jackasses were running health policy in New York City. Cuomo's health experts all quit from the governor's office. Yeah, they're losing their grip on power, folks. It's a beautiful thing to see. You're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at BuckSexton.com. What is the dumbest media smear of 2021 so far? What is the single dumbest thing the media has tried to weaponize against their political opponents, conservatives, Republicans? Uh, Look, it's a big list. And I'm sure you have some some ideas that you're throwing out there that probably are, you know, could could very easily be number one and certainly make it on the top 10. But of, of all the moronic stories of all the stuff that has been said recently about all of this i've i've got to tell you something um the cpac is a nazi cpac stage is a nazi rune 
story is the most slanderous, dishonest, moronic, indefensible thing I've seen reported uh, in, a, in a long time. Nobody with an IQ higher than a toaster oven really thought that CPAC built a Nazi rune stage as some kind of a dog whistle or symbol for Nazis to feel more comfortable with CPAC. But the woke Democrat media is willing to feign unimaginable stupidity as long as it provides a pretext for vicious slander. Create create the basis so you can just kind of get away with reporting on something that you know is actually not going to be true. You know it's bullcrap. But all you need is, is just that little tiny excuse that and, and it's an excuse that's only created. It's only possible because the people making it are saying we're total morons. And that's what they did. Turns out that the CPAC Nazi stage was uh, designed by a company called Design Foundry. And no, they're not a bunch of white nationalists in a in a cabin somewhere up in the North Woods or something who are, you know, building bombs in, in briefcases. No, it's a nice design company that has worked for, oh, I don't know, MSNBC in the past and Joe Biden. And this is my favorite one. I want you to just think right. This is the company that designed that they were left to just design the whole thing on their own. OK, design the CPAC stage. What percentage of political donations from Design Foundry that created the neo-Nazi stage? It looks like the looks like the auto ruin of the SS. We swear it's oh, my gosh, the white nationalists are taking over. What percentage of the donations in that company went to Democrats? Anybody? Ninety eight percent. So a Democrat design firm that has worked for Joe Biden and MSNBC and was solely in charge of creating and designing this stage was for days essentially accused of being crypto Nazis or stealth neo-Nazis creating the Odal rune. Nobody really nobody really believed this. And I'm going to say, okay, I, I, I take that back. Nobody who was not a a complete and utter idiot believed this. Most of the people that ran with this story, most of the people who were reporting on this knew that it was absurd. And I will say there were a few liberals. I actually reached out to Matt Schlapp, the chairman of the American Conservative Union. I, I said, Matt, keep us all updated on how many apologies you get from members of the media who ran with the appalling idiocy of the Nazi rune stage at CPAC fake news story i'm guessing it's at zero now and i'm gonna i'm gonna say it stays somewhere in the neighborhood of zero he responded to me that no he has gotten no apologies uh but there were at least a couple of reporters who immediately said this is a dumb conspiracy theory so i think everybody should make note of all the blue check libs who were literally shaking right now over the cpac nazi stage These are all people who are too stupid or too dishonest or both for anyone of good faith to listen to on any issue of public importance ever again. And there are lots of them out there. The head of uh, NARAL was talking about how this is a Nazi stage and there needs to be apology. I mean, there are people who run real organizations. They're real members of the media. Washington Post reported on this. A lot of lot of places reporting on this. And this just goes to show you that uh, being a Democrat today, being a really 
a true believing Democrat who reads the Washington Post, watches CNN and thinks that it's a real reflection of objective reality. This is this is transitioning into a kind of mental illness. Now, this is a these are people who have a disconnect from reality. CPAC would create why would CPAC create a a an homage out of its stage to the SS? Why would all the the many, many conservatives uh, who are Jewish who were at CPAC, including Orthodox uh, Jewish conservatives who showed up at CPAC, a number of whom are, are friends of mine. They didn't think it was meant to be any kind of Nazi symbol. I, I think they would they would pick up on it. Right. I think all of us would pick up on it. They didn't see it. No, because it wasn't there. But that's now where we are. There is no level of absurdity or stupidity that is too much for the corporate media to use as an excuse to slander conservatives. They think that we're going to go and forget about this. I mean, we, we already don't trust them. We already know they are not worthy of trust. But hold on a second. How much worse is it going to get with them? I mean, how do they not have any if they were real journalists at all? Wouldn't they have to do some soul searching now? I mean, they said that CPAC was was put on a, on a Nazi symbol. It's like saying the CPAC stage was a swastika. That's what they were saying. And we're all sitting around saying, no, it's not. And how did you even see that in the first? How did you even think of that? It's just it's so crazy. It's so bizarre. But you understand exactly why they did this, because they they despise conservatism. Don't you see? We're not allowed to share our thoughts. We're not allowed to gather to congregate anywhere. If they could silence us everywhere, they would do it. If they could put tape over your mouth, metaphorically and, and literally anywhere or a mask anywhere across the country, they would do it. They don't even want to hear your argument. They don't think you should be able to make the argument. Don't you see? They don't want to have to confront you on the battlefield of ideas. That's challenging. That's complicated. That can be kind of messy. It's, it's so much more appealing to just silence your opponents, to tell them to, uh, to be quiet, to shut up. I see this and I just think, how could any person, how could any person believe that the corporate media acts in good faith after all this? How could anyone think that our institutions aren't run by left-wing ideologues who are also deranged and, and, and dumb. After you see somebody like John Brennan, the CIA director, former CIA director under Obama, come out and say he's embarrassed to be a white male. I mean, what a... a I, I don't like to use words like stupid and moron and idiot. I really don't. I'd much rather engage and explain why I think something is wrong or why I think something will have bad results. I'd rather have a worthwhile exchange of ideas, but some things are just dumb. Some things are just operating at a low level of intellect. And that's what you see with with a lot of corporate media narrative. You know, the this the the low information voter phenomenon. That's what's going on here. I mean, it's it's just crazy. It's just crazy. And yet they're out there continuing to spread oh speaking of former intel officials here's a guy who is a a former intel official named clint watts i've never heard of this guy before but when he's asked about antifa you know we're hearing about white supremacists all the time how they're about to throw overthrow the country at any minute we got dc on lockdown 
with big fences and all this all this martial law pageantry going on in D.C. For what? Oh, the threat of white supremacists. Meanwhile, Antifa is a domestic terror organization and they keep pretending that it doesn't even exist. Play 13. There is no equivalency by any measure between Antifa or any political left terrorism right now and what's going on on the political right. And I always like to remind people when they hear Antifa, that means anti-fascist, which is in response to another. So if you have Antifa, then you have thought or as in fascist, which comes down to white supremacy. It's the number one issue in the country in terms of domestic terrorism and terrorism overall. And it's it's followed up very closely behind by anti-government militia groups. And that's really where the FBI, I think Director Ray said that today, he's going to focus on that. I would like to see our elected leaders focus on that as well. Yeah, Antifa is really about fighting fascism or about attacking journalists in the street for showing what a bunch of psycho cosplay left-wing revolutionary wannabes they are or about destroying federal property, trying to blind federal officers, throwing rocks, throwing feces, throwing bottles of urine at cops. But, you know, they're fighting fascism. You know, you know what the fascism is that they see? Law enforcement, order, society functioning well. That's the fascism that Antifa is fighting against. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Always remember that your government is willing to put you through tremendous restrictions to ruin your business, to even bankrupt you, to take away your constitutional freedoms, your freedom of assembly, your freedom of religious practice, all the name of keeping you safe from COVID. But the Biden administration is also going to make sure that people who have COVID-19 who come into the country illegally will be able to be released into the interior of the United States. Okay, Um, that's going on right now. And that's something that I want you to pay attention to. Uh, Here's what we get after Border Patrol release asylum seekers test positive for covid in Brownsville, Texas. Let's go to this. This this is a story courtesy of NBC News. Um, This is this is what we've got for you. Miriam Izaguirre, a 35 year old asylum seeker from Honduras, crossed the Rio Grande at dawn Monday with her young son and turned herself into authorities. A few hours later, she was released. And the first thing she did was take a rapid test for COVID-19 at the Brownsville bus station they told her her test came out positive right now we were tested for covid and they separated about eight of us because we were positive she said she was waiting to catch a bus to houston other migrant families also said they had tested positive and were waiting to go to other destinations north carolina maryland new jersey the city of brownsville administers these rapid tests at the bus station after migrant families are released by the border patrol A spokesperson for Brownsville confirmed that since they began doing these tests January 25th, 108 migrants have tested positive for COVID-19, which is 6.3% of those who took the test. Folks, why why are people with COVID-19 being released into the American interior? They're not even supposed to be in the country. What's going on here? Ah, but this then takes us back to this asylum uh, asylum claim loophole that keeps being used. Uh, th- this woman and her son, for example, I don't know her specific case, but you take a general case here 
of who's showing up at the border. And they're people who have been coached. They're people who have been told all you have to say is the following and you will get entry into the United States under a uh, under a asylum guideline, basically uh, the, the first credible fear test you will you will pass. And it's it's stunning uh, that this continues to go on because we've already, as I've told you many times, been through this. We've seen what happens. We've seen what the reality is here of migrants at our southern border. And the ones who are claiming asylum are not legitimate asylum seekers. Now, now you can brush this aside and say it doesn't really matter, except there are people from all over the world who would want to claim real refugee status or become asylees in the United States who are actually in real danger of their government detaining them, torturing them, killing them. But there are limits on how many people we take in every year. There are limits on how easy it is for people to get here. And what we're seeing is an end run, an end run on this whole process with people coming to the border and making this claim with people who are doing all of this, right? They're not being honest. It's actually, for, for the record, it's a, it's a crime to lie to a federal law enforcement official in a, in a proceeding like this, even an immigration proceeding. They don't show up for their hearings, but Democrats fundamentally will not tell you who can who is not allowed to stay. Maybe rapists and murderers who are in the country illegally will get deported under Biden, but pretty much everybody else, they want to try to, make them stay here. They want to allow them to stay here. This is their plan. This is the way they they intend to not enforce immigration uh, for the next four years. And yet, uh, you know, it's it's fascinating to see this continue to play out because you got a majority of Americans disapprove of Biden's immigration executive order. This is the New York Post. Uh, The poll conducted in late February by Harvard University and Harris Insights, 55 percent disapprove of Biden's executive order uh, to allow to allow. Well, that's for biological uh, boys to compete in women's sports. I'm finding here the immigration one, the immigration, uh, the immigration poll also showed um, that that he was. You know, wrong on this one that the American people do not agree with him. And it's troubling. It's troubling. And he did it together with the transgender athletes thing. It was right, right on day one, right at the very beginning. Do we see this happening? And I've just I've hoped that the word could get out, that the truth could get out to the American people about exactly what's going on here so that finally we could have the national conversation. But what, what are we really going to do? Are we an open borders country or not? Are we an open borders country? Are we a country that, um, oh, sorry, here it is. 55% disapproval also for the deep, reducing the deportation of those who are here illegally, who have committed crimes such as DUIs that are not national security related. So that was part of the, um, that was part of it. And then there's a 50% disapproval for Biden's repeal of a travel ban. The Trump administration said targeted countries that did not have uh, ter- enough terrorism uh, cooperation policies in place, and 47% disapproved of Biden ending construction of Trump's Mexico wall. Okay, so that's just along partisan lines. 
But even, you know, a, a clear majority of Americans, we're getting into 55 percent of, of with a new presidency here. Uh, you know, 55 percent of of the people of, what, of what's going on here, seeing that we're setting up an open borders country and that's going to have enormous implications for what this nation is going to be like going forward. And Democrats just see it as a method of control of, of increasing their political power. There should be other considerations taken into account, too. But they won't make the honest argument here. The Democrats will not tell you what they're really trying to achieve with immigration. They should just be willing to tell you straight up, we want as many people from other countries to come here as possible. The more the merrier. We don't want any restrictions on it. Because we already take a million immigrants legally a year and make them permanent residents, citizens, or green card holders in America. A million a year. Now you're going to add a huge influx of illegal immigrants too? Well, what is the moral grounds for this? Is a country not allowed to control its borders? We will be soon the only country in the world that could control its borders, that is not beset by a war or something, and has no control of its borders, really. We're on a pathway to being that the, the first open borders state in the world. This is dissolution from within. How do you even have a country? How do you have a people, a nation, if anyone can show up and just say, I'm now a part of this, there's no process, there's no assimilation pipeline, nothing. It's just, I'm here, give me my benefits. That's what Democrats want. You're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at BuckSexton.com. Can math be racist? I want you to think about this for a moment. I, I really, before... We dive into this together. I want you to think about this. Is it possible for math to be racist? And I mean the, the actual practice of mathematics. Learning it, getting good at it, getting the right answer. Is there, is there a racial angle to this? I'm sure you and I immediately jump to the same conclusion. Of course not. That's absurd. Math is math, right? The same way that up is up and down is down and left is left and so on and so forth. Math is math. Not anymore, though. Not according to the left, not according to a uh, a booklet on how to get better at instruction when it comes to equitable math. Okay, that's that's now the phrase. That's the buzz phrase of the moment. This is this is now this is being funded by uh, Gates, the Gates Foundation, the Bill Melinda Gates Foundation, or Bill Gates, you know, writing checks for this kind of stuff. This is being pushed in contemporary academia as a real thing. Math is racist. I'm, I'm not I'm not making it up. I, I have right in front of me uh, this booklet. It's 82 pages. I, I read it, believe it or not. And it, it will melt your brain. I mean, it, it's barely even. Yes, the words are English, but the thoughts are incoherent garbage. It, it doesn't really make sense much of the time. You really see what, what are they even saying? But then you realize that the language of intersectionality, uh, the language of oppression studies, the cultural Marxists lexicon is meant to have the veneer. It's meant to seem superficially like it has some academic merit or standing like it's some intellectual exercise when in reality it's just a whole bunch of nonsense meant to brainwash you. There, there is no intellectual core to it. There is no 
merit to the argument. Okay, here we go. Uh, A pathway to equitable math instruction, dismantling racism in in uh, mathematics instruction. Okay, I mean, this is when you start to read this and I I read it so I know so that you you don't have to. Um, But, you know, people are writing columns on this. You know, people are writing uh, essays all across the country. Uh, And, you know, anti-racism in math is an absurdity. It is is absurdity. And and you see this uh, being written about now more and more. People are recognizing, um, you know, Abraham Lincoln's name, for example, was moved from a high school recently in, uh, what was that, in San Francisco, as we know. We've talked about that. That's the part of the cancel culture that's going on. But there are Oregon teacher training materials. It's the Washington Post uh, in a column that claim that asking math students to show their work reinforces white supremacy. Being serious. Okay? Show your work. That reinforces white supremacy. This, that was Matty Iglesias, who's a lib, a leftist, writing in the Washington Post. This is a real idea that's out there. And let, let me read you something. And this is going to be tough to get through. I, I, I want to be clear that, that this is not when you read this stuff, when you figure out what they're actually saying, it, it doesn't make sense. But we just we're supposed to ignore the fact that it's, uh, you know, it, it's unintelligible to most people. Right? You're supposed to ignore, ignore that fact. Here we go. Dismantling racism in mathematics instruction. This tool provides teachers an opportunity to examine their actions, beliefs and values around teaching mathematics. The framework for deconstructing racism in mathematics offers essential characteristics of anti-racist math educators and critical approaches to dismantling white supremacy in math classrooms by visibilizing the toxic characteristics of white supremacy culture with respect to math. Building on the framework Teachers engage with critical praxis in order to shift their instructional beliefs and practices toward anti-racist math education. By centering anti-racism, we model how to be anti-racist math educators with accountability. I mean, it really, the way that they, they structure language, the way that they communicate these ideas, it is, it is meant to be uh, mechanistic and bureaucratic in tone. To give it a completely preposterous credibility for people. You say, oh, well, it sounds almost sciency. Like it sounds like they're they're describing the process of photosynthesis. Right? Engage with critical praxis, you know, deconstructing, dismantling, visibilizing toxic characteristics. All what does this mean? What does this even mean? Ask yourself that question. And, and they go into in the uh, primary areas here of how to deconstruct racism. Here, here's how they get into dismantling racism in mathematics, uh, in mathematics in classrooms. Here are things th- that, that are white, quote, here's what they write. We see white supremacy culture show up in the mathematics classroom even as we carry out our professional responsibilities outlined in the California Standards for the Teaching Profession. 
we see white supremacy culture in the mathematics classroom when, okay, this is what they write, the focus is getting on the right answer. Uh, or the focus is on getting the right answer. Independent practice is valued over teamwork or collaboration. Real world math is valued over math in the real world. Students are tracked and participation structures reinforce dominant ways of being. Okay, again, what the heck does that mean? Well, let's start with this one. This is an official, this is supposed to be teaching guidance. This was a series, this is an 80 page uh, paper, you know, kind of a, uh, you know, it can't, uh, probably not called a white paper, whatever they call it, a, uh, you know, I'm sure if they're calling it a white paper, would that, would that be reinforcing a culture of white supremacy? I mean, you have to wonder. But the focus is on getting the right answer. Think about this. What they're saying is that it is white supremacy culture that getting the right answer in math matters. This is what this is saying. Okay, this is what the, the claim is that is being made. Um, and, and I think that we all need to see that in this context, anti-racism is in fact racism. Okay, anti-racism is racism, meaning that they're creating this, this uh, they're perpetuating this belief that some, some students of some races are less likely to get the right answer than others. Therefore, a focus on a right answer is racist. And then they continue with this, okay? They continue with this um, where they get into tracking people based, based on math ability. The reason that we track students for math ability is so there can be tailored instruction to the speed that they go because some students are faster than others at math. And this is just a reality of the world we live in. Some people are better at math than others. I wish I was great at math. I wasn't. I was I was mediocre before high school or I was probably pretty good before high school. And then I just didn't like it in high school and didn't really do my work and pay attention all that much. And I was a very subpar math student in high school. Um, I mean, I was at a technically a school for the gifted, you know, no big deal. But the point is, I, I was not one of the better. I was initially placed in the top math class. So out of one hundred and thirty students. There were like 15 of us in this elite math career. And then I dropped out after the first year. And then I kept getting weaker and weaker in math because I just hated it. And just it just never really clicked for me. But the same way that the track team is supposed to have the fastest students uh, who can be on the team, the elite math track was for the people that were getting the most right answers and could do the, the fastest. I mean, who could move the fastest in the classroom? What the woke teaching, uh, what the woke teaching folks are saying here is that by putting people in these kinds of programs where some are going faster than others, you're perpetuating white supremacy. Now, this is particularly fascinating because anybody who lives in a large urban area of, of either of the coasts knows that in practice, the group who, who will be overrepresented, the ethnic group that is overrepresented in the corridors of elite mathematic, uh, mathematics education are Asians. Asian Americans outperform their white counterparts in California, in New York. And this is why, as I've been telling you, Stuyvesant High School in New York City, among the most elite public schools in the whole country where you have to take a very specific standardized test to get in, is 70% Asian. New York City is not 70% Asian. Stuyvesant is. So how is it that a system 
that perpetuates white supremacy is actually, in a sense, pushing Asian supremacy in mathematics. Well, that's, of course, because the basic premise that white suprem- that, that right answers in math are somehow a form of white supremacy is idiotic beyond words, but anti-racism doesn't care about reality. Anti-racism cares about creating constructs that, uh, that allow for greater empowerment of left-wing authoritarians in the educational system. And what they really what they really want is their perpetuation, really the enlargement of a, as the Supreme Court described it, racial spoil system within the schools, meaning that some racial groups are going to get X and some racial groups are going to get Y and the woke and the left are going to determine, you know, who's in the elite class, who gets an A, who goes to the top schools. It's not merit is destroyed as a concept in all of this, you see. It's not about ability. It's not about intelligence. It's not about hard work. It's what do people who think that society has to be ordered in the image that they have in their brains, what do those people want? What do they think? Uh, My friend Carol Markowitz wrote this over at the New York Post uh, just a few days ago. Quote, a consortium of 25 education organizations has offered a pathway to equitable math instruction which seeks to uh, to dismantle, rather, racism in mathematics. The group detects white supremacy in such practices as focusing on the right answer or having to show your work, which is also known as learning. Lest you imagine this is some fringe group, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation provides all of its funding. Yes, Bill Gates, she writes, who made his fortune in the world of computers, funds programs to interrogate the racism of numbers. It's a perfect illustration of wokeness taken to its natural conclusion. And Gates isn't pushing these bad ideas on the outskirts of society. In May, Governor Cuomo partnered with Gates to reimagine education. Speaking about the partnership, Cuomo said the old model of everybody goes and sits in a classroom and the teacher is in front of that classroom and teaches the class um, with all these buildings, all these physical classrooms. Why with all the technology you have? Right. The comment inadvertently revealed how wokeness and permanent remote instruction go hand in hand. Teachers don't want to go back to the classroom. That's what we're really seeing. They like working from home. Teachers want to be work from home. They think they should be a part of the work from home revolution. They don't want to have to deal with your kids. You have to deal with the kids. So you get to be the babysitter while they get to press the Zoom play button on a lecture that they've taped. That's now teaching. Oh, okay. But back to uh, wokeness in math and dismantling white supremacy in the classroom. Uh, this is is absurd. I mean, this this deserves mockery. But here's what I mean by the expansion of white supremacy as a, as a term to include things that no reasonable person could ever think are white supremacist. Right. That's a term that in the in the, in the 90s and the 2000s meant a vicious racist neo-Nazi. Now, according to the woke left, white supremacy means a focus on getting the right answers to math problems. What else can you say other than the left is insane? They've, they've lost their minds. 
This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Join the conversation and message Buck on Facebook, Instagram, or email teambuck at iheartmedia.com. He may read it on the show. Vice President Kamala Harris was one of the most vocal critics of Justice Brett Kavanaugh, of Senator Al Franken. When they faced similar allegations, she said repeatedly, I believe them, the women. But she hasn't said anything about the three women who are accusing Governor Andrew Cuomo and now this third accuser, Anna Roosh, she actually worked for the Biden-Harris campaign. So at what point is the first female vice president going to say something about this? Well, I, I know that's how the, the uh, vice president continues to feel. And uh, the benefit of doing a briefing every day is that I can certainly speak on behalf of the president and the vice president. And so let me reiterate that uh, they both believe that every woman coming forward should be heard, should be treated with dignity and treated with respect. Uh, as you all know, the New York attorney general will oversee an independent investigation with subpoena power. Uh, and the governor's office said he will fully cooperate. And we certainly support that moving forward. But as you know, it's, it's one thing to hear it from you, and it's appreciated, but it's another thing to hear it from the vice president or the president himself. Can we expect to hear from either of them on this topic anytime soon? Well, again, I'm speaking on their behalf. That's how they feel. Uh, they personally both view this as a, a, a situation where uh, both, all of the women coming forward should be treated with dignity and respect and should have their voices heard. Yeah, that's another way of saying that, no, Kamala is, of course, not going to trash Cuomo. He's a Democrat, and he was useful for Kamala becoming vice president. But we all know the double standard here. I know it's, it's exhausting, isn't it? Keeping track of all the Democrat double standards, after a while you just say to yourself, I mean, how much more of this absurdity can we all take? But they won't stop. Double standard is really just a manifestation of the power imbalance that they have. They are in a position to enforce these double standards, so they do. And we sit around complaining about it, saying, when are they going to stop? They're not going to stop. That's why we have to defeat them. We have to take power away from them. That's the way this actually works. Kamala Harris was part of the most grotesque uh, political character destruction campaign I've ever seen in my life against Brett Kavanaugh. And she kept saying that women have a right to be believed. When it was, tr- when it was time to stop Kavanaugh from being on the Supreme Court, it was women have a right to be believed. And now it's through the spokesperson. Kamala's not saying anything. Biden's not saying anything. It's, you know, yeah, they've got a right to be heard. Now, we all know they have a right to be heard. But the old Democrat standard, when it was somebody that the Democrat Party didn't like, when it was Brett Kavanaugh, when they didn't want him to be a Supreme Court justice, it was... A right to be believed. Why isn't Kamala speaking out on this? Why doesn't she have some words of solidarity and support for the women accusing Governor Cuomo of sexual harassment? I asked that question, and I know that we all know the answer, but we have to keep pushing it out there to just show what a bunch of frauds, frauds the Democrat leadership are. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Our friend, political consultant, analyst, and a general man who's connected to what's going on in all things politics, Ryan Gerdusky with us now, the author of They're Not Listening. Great book you should check out. Ryan, always appreciate having you on. Thanks for having me, Buck. All right, so I'm, I'm in a good mood. Because it seems like the lockdown madness is really losing ground here. You've got the stories about the CDC 
um, saying that indoor mask wearing once you're vaccinated will no longer be required. That's a huge change from what we've been hearing for weeks. Uh, you've got Texas opening up, Mississippi. Uh, you, I've got to say, you're not willing to celebrate the Texas move because because no, you view not. this as just and, and you you gave me you gave me a little guff on Twitter about it, but it's okay. You're still my buddy. You think this is just a political ploy by Abbott. Tell us about this. Greg Abbott turned Texas into a third world nightmare. And not that he turned it, but he did almost nothing to sit there and stop it. He hasn't sat there and fought against the EPA to sit there and expand their energy grid. They had, you know, I had friends in Texas who were like trying to save rainwater because they had no running water uh, for, for three, four days. Um, uh, no, Greg. And also he got 0% in the CPAC straw poll. Um, DeSantis has, has DeSantis and Ken Paxson in his own state have eclipsed him as far as political influence goes. His is waning. I don't think that I don't know if you can run for a third term in Texas, but I think if he even if he I think you can, but I don't think he will. And um, and I just think that his hopes of being a national figure kind of have just gone by. the. So I, I just want you to know, I've been I've been critical of Abbott. And, and I've actually been getting some pushback from residents of Texas listening to the show for months because I've been saying, why, why isn't he learning from DeSantis? Why isn't it? Why is Florida the the place that's willing to be reasonable and rational during this whole thing and not Texas? You would have thought that Texas was kind of the, the homeland of freedom. Um, but I, I guess my my feeling on this is, well, now he's finally doing the right thing, but he's doing the right thing in, in your estimation for political for, for, for purely political reasons. Yeah, I mean, 100%. I did see his his polls are down. He was at like 88 percent approval among Republicans in Texas, only among Republicans. And now it's like 79 after the the the, the disaster of the storm. But I got to tell you, I mean, the this storm or whatever we're calling it, like the great freeze of Texas. I talked to a lot of people who said, look, they just it was like a freak storm that comes once every hundred years or something. They just weren't ready for it. Yeah, that's what you said about Katrina, too. But you have to prepare for something like that. And I mean, you had I mean, people literally died over in Texas because that and you had a senator, you know, and this wasn't Ted Cruz. I wasn't I'm not bashing Ted Cruz, but you have the senator uh, from Cancun and you have the uh, and you have the uh, the governor who looks feckless. Uh, and you have a president totally missing in action. Joe Biden did literally. Nothing. Yeah, well, he got no. By the way, he got no pushback or attack whatsoever for 100%. doing nothing in Texas. And, that, and he and, and it hit in the areas that he actually won. It hit in the two counties in Texas that he won. So, yeah, you have you have uh, you have four point five million people without heat or electricity in freezing cold weather. Lots of children and elderly people. And you have three of the high profile people, the president, the senator and the governor, just as useless as could possibly be in, 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 in you know, in this entire thing. I, so, yeah, so I, I'm sure Kim Paxton, I'm sorry, I'm sorry that Greg Abbott is, um, is 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 trying to rebrand himself and trying to change the narrative. So, yeah, let's say we're not going to have any mass mandate and open up business. I mean, for the same exact reason that he was doing it uh, for a political answer, because it was perceived as popular to shut down businesses, at least partially, he's now opening them all because it's a political answer. I'm not a big uh, Greg Abbott fan, and I think that he's witnessing any opportunity he had of being a national figure going down. No, I, I think that's true. I mean, you just look at this was essentially it was uh, it was like a stress test of the state leadership of Texas and Florida the last year. And as you point out, the last month in particular, in the case of Texas. And Florida came out looking really good, and Texas has come out looking 
like what's going on there. I've also been speaking to people in the GOP uh, infrastructure in Texas in the last few weeks who are saying this state's going blue. It's just a question of when, which is also a whole other concern. I mean, you know, the, the Democrats have been wanting to flip it for a long time. They say it might be 10 years out, but based on all the all the projections they're seeing. So there's a lot of work, to, a lot of work. Well, to yeah, well, it doesn't help that Greg Abbott is sitting there inviting Californian businesses with their Californian workers and Californian voters to Texas. And he's celebrating it. And he keeps saying, oh, come on, let's go, big tech, move to Austin and let's turn Texas into California. Yeah. Look, I, I, I want to be very clear. I'm not a Greg Abbott fan. I just want states to reopen. And I don't want mass it to go away. So I'm I'm well, on I, team freedom. Yeah, I guess so. I just it just shows short sightedness of Republicans in power. We have been we have been complaining for 40 years about the public school system in this country being terrible for children. The minute that almost every public school in the country closes. Our first answer is not this is our opportunity to sit there and get, you know, mass privatization of, of public education and religious vouchers. It's let's open public schools again. Well, so why? So we can go back to our default, which was complaining about the public schools. No, I mean, there. this is the opportunity to the, the whole covid could have been used as a mass restructuring in a positive sense. And it's been almost no, it's, well, it's been all, totally restructured sense. along the lines of what the left wants. And they've been using. Oh, this. yeah. They've been using this to, to great effect in a, in a number of areas. I mean, notably the way that that the teachers are the teachers unions really are hoping that they're just going to get a concession where they can get you know, work from home as at least part of their schedule permanently. That That's what this is really all about. Um, but but, Ryan, I also we've only got a few minutes and I wanted to ask because I haven't talked to you since CPAC. I got to tell you, I come back from CPAC and the feeling is, OK, so it's still Trump's party. Trump's going to probably run in four years his people are going to be in charge and i'm looking at this and i'm saying guys if we don't have an honest conversation about what really happened in 2020 it's going to be trump's party he's going to be in charge and he's going to lose again yeah you know i would love to see um i would love to see one person who works for trump now who did not work for him in 2020 i would love to see trump talk about one thing he got wrong in 2020. I would like to see one new person. I would like to see a call to action um, about asking attorneys generals across the country to be suing uh, Biden on his executive orders and getting uh, nationwide injunctions to slow the process down. I would like Trump to be talking about endorsing people who are not incumbents like Jerry Moran, who is a McConnell backbencher. I would like him to create a pledge where you cannot or he will not endorse a single uh, Senate candidate who will vote to reelect Mitch McConnell as leader of the Republicans in the Senate. I would like to see a lot of things from Trump other than a speech that I enjoy because I had a thousand of those experiences. But we're not getting any of those experiences right now. And I think the problem that a lot of Trump supporters and by the way, I say this as somebody who supported him the day he came down that escalator when everyone told me I was crazy. I think that a lot of people who are Trump supporters are looking to Trump for some answers that they're never going to get from him. And they expect they expect things of him that he as a man will just never deliver. And that's something that we have to come. I I worry that the mechanisms for for course correction that you want to have in a political movement and certainly for a political candidate are still not in place. And there are people that don't want them to be in place because they were around Trump the last time. Who was who was the person? Buck? who was the person who benefited the most from the narrative that the election was stolen? It was Jared Kushner. Jared Kushner, who was working on an amnesty for the second term, was working on progressive policies for the second term. 
he loved the whole narrative that it was stolen because now he who ran the campaign, even though other people ran it, he really ran it, doesn't have to be held accountable because allegedly he won, even though he ran a miserable campaign that wasted hundreds of millions of dollars that was broke at the end. A presidential campaign was broke after raising a billion dollars. And now he doesn't have to be accountable for the policies he put forward, for the issues he, he, he campaigned on, for the money he spent. Doesn't have to be held accountable for anything. The prince who called himself the prime minister around the West Wing gets to live another day as a rich kid, married to Ivanka, jetting who the hell knows where. And probably when Trump sits there and runs again in 2024, if he wants to, Jared gets to walk right back into his chosen position and push more policies that actually hurt Americans, like letting all the criminals out of prison and giving amnesty to illegal aliens. Yeah. And he should have been held accountable and he's not going. There to. is there is no I'm seeing no accountability in Trump world for the mistakes of 2020, even at the early stages of people being willing to talk about there was stuff that happened. It wasn't just some grand conspiracy and that Trump actually won by millions. Like, that's crazy talk. That didn't actually happen. There were things that were done wrong. And and I think if we don't face up. So so I'm concerned about that. And I know you'll you'll be willing to talk about it uh, with me more as, as we go forward here. But everybody should check out Ryan's book. They're not listening. And I'm worried. I'm, I'm worried that the, they're not listening applies to people in Trump's orbit right now. But, but <laughs> That's we'll, true we'll, we'll get to that another time. Ryan Gerdusky, everybody. Ryan, thanks for making the time for us. Absolutely. Thank you. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. But I'll tell you one thing, though. Uh, the Senate has they've been obstructionists for a long time. We sent them bills that have that enjoy support of 97 percent of Americans, like closing the gun show loophole and the Charleston loophole. But it gets over to the Senate and it dies because Mitch McConnell didn't want it. Republicans didn't want to vote on it. I think that the public may mandate that the Senate start to do things. There could be public pressure. The public could mandate, as you put it, the Senate Democrats break the rule that exists now and go ahead and pass your agenda with a simple majority. No, no, I, I think the public favors uh, Republicans and the Democrats coming together and putting their needs first. If 97 percent of the country believes something is the right thing to do, why would 50 people feel so comfortable being against it? But in choosing between bipartisanship and the Biden agenda, you're going to pick the Biden agenda. Well, I can tell you on the American Rescue Plan, if our choice is to wait and go bipartisan, with an insufficient package, we're not going to do that. Oh, my gosh. The pandemic is is going to be over by the time these Democrats actually do. It's amazing, isn't it? I know they've got debate underway in Congress, but what? Think of all the delay. Where was the urgency to get something done for the American people? Nancy Pelosi held up checks for, for workers, for Americans, for months and months because she didn't want people to feel good about things before the election. She didn't want them to think that things were going to get better. And then they continued to hold it up. And now the COVID, the so-called COVID rescue bill, it's just a giant Democrat wish list spending bill. That's all it is. That's what's really going on. That's what's actually happening here. But they pretend, um, they, they, they pretend uh, that this is, going to be great for the American people. <sighs> it's, it's, really, it's really stunning. It really is. You know, they're going to spend so much money and the money's going to be getting out to people. You're going to say, okay, why? What was, the, what was the reason for the, what is it now, six months of delay? Five months of delay? 
it's absurd. But I, I, I wanted to mention this too. Um, Fox News reporting that the CDC is going to announce that Americans with the COVID nineteen vaccine can gather indoors without masks. Without masks. Um, yeah, this is how the pandemic ends, folks. This is how it finally goes away. This is what we've all been looking forward to, that, that they, they're realizing that they're insanity. They can't keep it going. They can't keep it up. And so they have to start conceding to reality. This is great news. Great news. I'm thrilled. You're going to be able to stop wearing the dumb mask soon. And those of you who are saying, "Buck, I don't even wear the mask," well, you know, congrats. But it's going to be something where you can, you know, you can. Because here's what's going to happen in practice. And you might be asking, "Am I going to get vaccinated?" Yes, I'm going to get vaccinated when the time comes. And I know that people would say, "Buck," but what about the side effects? Anything else? I mean, look, I I got to tell you, I was in the CIA. I got so many vaccinations. I got injected with so much stuff. I took all kinds of anti-malarials and this and that. And I mean. I was getting I was getting booster shots for diseases I'd never even heard of. And I mean, I was getting shots for uh, Japanese encephalitis and yellow fever and this. And that. I, mean, I was getting everything right because I was going to I was going into part really, you know, sketchy parts of uh, war torn countries. I was spending time in the Middle East. I spent time in West Africa. I spent you know, I was all over the place. Right. So they they gave me all these shots so I could go to these places and. You know, sure enough, uh, I just feel like I'm going to get the vaccine because I'm going to get it. And then I'm going to tell everybody to go Fauci themselves when they say it's time for me to put a mask on. I'm going to say, I'm sorry, we're done. We're done with this. No more. Enough is enough. And here we are. Here we are. Um, I, I think it's finally we're finally now seeing the beginning of the end of this madness. It's not over yet. They're going to they're going to be people. They're going to be cities. They're going to be places. No, you have to keep asking. You have to keep. And it's we're, we're going to have people that haven't gotten vaccinated. It's not even going to be open to everybody till what the the end of um, the end of May, I think. In fact, I think Biden just said that recently. Play four. We're now on track to have enough vaccine supply for every adult in America by the end of May. Let me say that again. When we came into office. The prior administration had contracted for not nearly enough vaccine to cover adults in America. We rectified that. About three weeks ago, we were able to say that we'll have enough vaccine supply for adults by the end of July. And I'm pleased to announce today, as a consequence of the stepped-up process that I've ordered and just outlined, this country will have enough vaccine supply, I'll say it again, for every adult in America by the end of May. End of May. So really, by June, if this trend holds, no one's going to be able to tell you you got to wear a mask anymore because you're just going to say you've been vaccinated. Now, are you being truthful when you say that or not? That's going to be on you. But at least now there's the possibility that as of June, you'll be able to be like, look, I'm vaccinated. No more. I mean, think about that. I'll be able to go to the gym not wearing a stupid mask. It's idiotic. No one else in the gym is sick. I'm not sick. Everyone's fine. We're young. We're healthy. I've never seen anyone in my gym who's over 65. Never seen anybody of that age. And yet 
We all we got a bunch of 25 year olds in there who are double masking now. I, I have a guy with a with a gas mask going there. But no, no, this is rational. This is reasonable. That's what they've been telling you. These these this craziness. So it's it's remarkable to see this now. But it is the beginning of the end of the of the insanity on this one. We're going to win this one. It's going to stop. And uh, I haven't been this confident in a long time that we're they're going to fight. There's going to be more. It's not over yet. But once once the masks, you see, the masks were the start of all the madness, because once the masks are no longer mandatory, it turns into, uh, you know, what social. Yeah, we've all really been taking the measuring tape out to make sure we're six feet apart from people. Or is it three feet or is it nine feet? We've all really been, you know, washing our hands 50 times a day. I mean, this is. Masks were the visual manifestation of the authoritarian mindset, the power grab, all of it. Mask up. It was a reminder that you have to comply, that you have to be obedient. And once they lose that, it all starts to change. That's why they've been just clinging onto their masks, clinging onto them. And I'm just glad to see that they're, they're, their grubby little fingers are losing their grasp of your freedom, your dignity, your life. There is freedom ahead, friends. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Join the conversation and message Buck on Facebook, Instagram, or email teambuck at iheartmedia.com. He may read it on the show. Rock and roll, fellow patriots. It's time for Roll Call. Make sure you're going to BuckSexton.com. I got an editorial up there. Would love for you all to read it. And also, please remember that uh, you can send us uh, your thoughts via roll call at Facebook.com slash BuckSexton. Hope you're already following me there. And if you're not, please do. Also on Instagram. And uh, yes, yes, indeed. And let's get to it. Uh, First up here is Paul. Howdy, Buck and Mark. I was listening to talk about how smart crows are last Monday and remembered something. There is a member of the Crow family called the Caledonian Crow that has shown the intelligence to do multi-stage problem solving with tools in laboratory settings. That's kind of scary. Also, do not get a fennec fox. Their hearing is so sensitive they can hear bugs moving underground. It's how they evolved to hunt. To them, the average ambient noise level in New York would be like being at a Judas Priest concert 24-7 Hope CPAC was a blast. Shields high. Yeah, Paul, I know. First of all, on the Fennec Fox, I, it's a weird. I just like I just like animals. I don't know. I just like furry animals that are I want to I, I want a pet otter. I want a pet fox. I want a wombat. You know, I've always, it's like a, a childhood dream. I've just always thought it'd be fun to have like a menagerie of cute furry friends. Um you know, and I, probably it's just also because I miss Tallulah because my parents now, my mom has the dog and I think I'm not, I don't think I'm getting her back anytime soon. So, which really, really means it's time for me to, time for me to probably get a dog. That's really what this comes. Maybe I'll stop wondering aloud, producer Mark, about whether you could help me take care of my new chinchilla uh, named Harry. Probably a good name for a chinchilla, um, which I don't have yet, but I'm just thinking about it. I won't have to ask you if you'll, you and Mrs. Mark will babysit my new chinchilla if I get a dog. Yeah, I think we'd be more likely to say yes to babysitting the dog 
than the chinchilla. Yeah, I think it's probably you know, chinchillas are, are also nocturnal. And uh, the one thing that I do not want is a little furry creature that's going to be keeping me up at night. The, you mess with you mess with the Buckster's sleep and uh, all bets are off. Yeah. So you without sleep is not something I like dealing with. So no, it's not good. I know it's grumpy. Producer Mark has to deal with a grumpy, grumpy bear buck. We don't need that. We do not need that. So, by the way, Eddie, anything uh, in the last 24 hours since we last talked? Was there, a, was there a, a, anything on, in the sports world that was exciting? I feel like the, you're the only uh, outlet for sports here on the whole show because I never talk about it. I don't really care much about it, but you do. So was there anything happening? Uh, I mean, in my world, the Rangers won a game, but I don't think anyone nationally really cares about the New York Rangers. Eh, fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Well, there we go. You know, just wondering. All right here. Um, Eric. Uh, oh, wait, no, sorry. Paul wrote about the Caledonian crow as well. Yeah, you know, my dad is a was really into he's really into bird watching. And and he's the one who taught me about crows. And they're they're really intelligent. I mean, they're they're surprisingly intelligent. Um, and it, it's amazing when you see some of the things that they can do. I mean, they, they have facial recognition. They can tell who people are by their face. That, that, I think that's remarkable. Uh, but I'll have to look up the Caledonian crow. All right, Eric Buck, I got a quick thing to say about the transgender athletes competing in women's sports. Everyone talks about the fear of them dominating the, against the competition, but what will happen when a mediocre at best trans, uh, trans athlete tries out for the volleyball team and is clearly not good enough, and the coach is faced with either cutting them and risk facing fierce criticism and most likely losing their job, or cutting a more talented female solely to save face and their job demoralizing the girl in the process. There's no way this ends well. Shields high. Yeah, Eric, this is a constant problem. When you eliminate merit, what you're left with is subjective and often political decision-making. And that's one of the reasons why the left believes so strongly in eliminating objective merit wherever possible. I mean, we had our discussion earlier in the show about whether math is racist. Math is clearly not racist, okay? That's, that's absurd. And it's actually denigrating. I mean, it's offensive to take the position that math is racist. I mean, when, when you take that to its logical conclusion, it's like there's there is objective ability and truth inherent in being able to do a math problem. And to think that viewing to, to think that that view upholds white supremacy is only a belief that somebody who actually has a racist mentality about math could could think, you know, one of the great examples in New York of the uh, of the charters of a charter school programming uh, charter school program working was Harlem Success Academy. And one of the brilliant one of the wonderful things about about Harlem Success Academy, which was which was uh, attacked by de Blasio and attacked by Democrat. They, they hate it when you when you actually show that a program that involves accountability for the students and for the parents it's a big part of it. The parents have to show up. The parents have to be at the meetings. The parents agree to this, to be to have their children in, in, in uh, Harlem Success Academy. And uh, the, the Democrats attacked this. But you had black and Latino, young black and Latino students dramatically outperforming their peers at the state level, including white and, and Asian peers on on math in, in math uh, tests. OK. That's a, that's a great story. I mean, it just shows you that with the right instruction, you know, students of any background, any ethnicity can be successful in math with the right environment, the right, uh, you know, the right instruction. The answer is to figure out how to do more of that. 
The answer isn't to say that math with right answers is racist. It's to say, how do we make sure that more young black and Latino students are put in an environment where they can also be getting the right answer and actually, as Harlem Success Academy showed, getting the right answer more than not only their black and Latino peers, but also their Asian and white peers at the same grade level. That's that's productive. That's the answer. Democrats take it the wrong direction because really what they want is the control to make those determinations within the system and the, and, and also the the ability to have a, a kind of patronage system from the racial spoil system, as, as we've talked about, of, well, we're Democrats. We want to put people, you know, in the gifted and talented program from certain ethnic groups who don't get the scores necessary, but we think that that's necessary for diversity. This is what they do in college admissions, the same thing. You know, the, the, the Asian Americans who have been suing Harvard recently, you know, they found that being black on the SAT, all other things being equal to what, you know, with other students on the metrics, grade point average and everything else, being black, you know, when it came to SAT scores for Harvard University was treated as the equivalent of a 250 point increase in SAT score. OK, so you go from being a student. If you got a a 1350 on the SAT as an African-American applicant to Harvard, it was the equivalent of getting a perfect score, a 1600. OK, so that's that's what this new lawsuit the most recent lawsuit from Asian-American students about Harvard's admission practices claims. And this is making its way. It's going up to the Supreme Court. And there is a chance that affirmative action will finally be outlawed as it well should be. Affirmative action is racial discrimination. They can try to dress it up with all kinds of flowery phrases and come up with all kinds. Affirmative action is racial discrimination. That's it. You want to stop discriminating by race? I believe the great Justice Alito said, stop discriminating by race. That's point one. That's the first step. You don't like racial discrimination? Stop discriminating on racial grounds. That's the refer- that, That's the, the key for these schools and, and the key for the educational processes. Um, but uh, yeah, as for transgender athletes, there will be pressure. Now, if, if somebody doesn't get the spot on the team who is transgender, it'll be, oh, they didn't want me because I'm transgender if the person's really not athletic. And yeah, of course, there are men who aren't as athletic as women. That exists. But fair point. Nancy, you have become my favorite podcast. Your insights and the mockery of the idiocy of our government right now is spot on. You give me hope we can fix this. Shields high. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Nancy. And and I, I really do appreciate that you know, people listen to this are clearly spreading the word about the Buck Sexton show to friends and peers, which is the single biggest help you can give. I mean, the two things you can do to help grow the Freedom Hut, to, to make the Buck Sexton show an, an even bigger, uh, even bigger success than, than it is and I owe this all to you the great people who listen to this and and people say things like I'm humble by this whatever I I can't tell you how much I appreciate it and I'll tell you this anybody who ever comes up to me and says they listen to my show or they like what I do on radio or podcast and they see my reaction it's heartfelt I it really means a lot I I truly appreciate it and and I'm honored by the fact that so many of you that hundreds of thousands of you a day Every day, hundreds of thousands of people are listening to me every day now. You know, that's um, that's something special, but it's 
largely because a lot of you tell people, especially on the podcast side, and now I've got a play button at the top of BuckSexton.com, and, and you can listen wherever you listen to podcasts, but also you can just go to BuckSexton.com, click play at the top. It's so easy. And, and I really hope you'll tell people about this and what we're doing here. Because I don't, look, some other people out there, and, and I'm, not, I'm not throwing shade at any individual here. I want to be clear about that. I'm just speaking in general. But you know, some people have huge marketing budgets, huge Facebook budgets. You know, they spend tons of money to get the word out. I, I, I have no marketing budget. You know, producer Mark, you know what the marketing for the show is? That it's a great show that people like. That's the marketing budget for the show. And whatever I do. And and yeah, but no, but you're 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 the budget for the show. That's not a marketing budget. Just, you're we got to pay you, or else we can't have a show. Well, no, I was joking. I am the marketing budget. It's zero. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, this is what I mean. You know, you're, you're just the show budget. You're not the marketing budget. Uh, you, you come before a marketing. I'm budget. all encompassing. Yeah, exactly. You're you're, you're the marketing budget. The cre- you know the the creative, the audio budget, the editing budget. The, you know, it's all producer Mark. So there you go. And I'm just the guy speaking the words in the microphone. But, yeah, it's the two of us making this thing. And, yes, we are on 200 radio stations plus now. And, yes, we have, uh, you know, a podcast that has grown. This podcast has grown. um, I think it has tripled in size in the last year in terms of daily audience, everybody. So those every single one of you who who has passed it, who has said, hey, do you like podcasts? You should listen to the Buck Sexton show or who shared this to your Facebook page. I really owe you and I mean it. I and I greatly appreciate it. Um, it, it means the, it means the world to me. You know, the, the more people listen to this, the more we're reaching with this message, the more work I can put into you know other projects and other things we're doing. And uh, it, it, it's it's great. So thank you. Na- thank you, Nancy. Honestly, bottom of my heart, really do appreciate it. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All right, continuing on with Roll Call here, we've got Jack. Hey, Buck, have you noticed that CNN and MSNBC have refused to report on the Cuomo allegations? How much longer do you think this will go on before America is no longer free? Biden's already taking our guns and our freedom of speech, which was already nearly gone due to big tech. What's next for America? Is the media going to continue to refuse to report on stories that hurt them, or will we take it back somehow? Is there a plan you have that you can lay out? What do you think we can do? Is there a plan you have in mind? Thanks. Well, Jack, first of all, all very valid concerns. Let me start with the CNN and MSNBC thing. Um, yeah, they're, they're barely touching it because Cuomo, you got to remember, Chris Cuomo has a show at CNN, which means Chris Cuomo is friends with the different CNN anchors and CNN management. He's also got buddies who are on his team, Team Democrat over at MSNBC. And so Governor Cuomo is protected socially, really. You know, it's like it's like his buddies. And, you know, I'm going to tell you this right now. Like if if there was a scandal around a friend of mine in politics and, you know, Sean Parnell is a great American and a patriot, totally scandal free. But I'm just saying if some scandal came up with Sean, you know, that that he failed to he failed to triple mask in a supermarket. Uh, well, first of all, if it was that, I would obviously just come to his aid and make the case of how stupid that is. But I, I wouldn't be, uh, I wouldn't be piling on. But I would tell you that I'd say, look, guys, Sean's in some trouble. But you know, he's my friend. I'm not, I'm not getting into that right now. I mean, it, it, any number of different people in politics. That's that's the way it is. Um, so, so there's absolutely a level of protection for Cuomo at CNN and MSNBC. But then, as as for the plan, Jack, the plan is what I'm laying out on this show every day. 
We hold the line. We make better arguments. We unite as conservatives. We bring we bring each other together. We hold each other up. We back each other up. And yeah, I, I tell you, you know, buying the products of the sponsors from this show, that helps. That helps because, you know, they're going to come after me. They're going to come after all conservatives over the next four years. Come after our sponsors, our advertisers, right? Spreading the word about the show. You're making content decisions every time you consume news or commentary. All that You're doing it every time you do that. You're making a decision. So when you flip on the channel and you flip on CNN, you go, oh, I'll just watch this because it's on or whatever. You're, you're helping CNN's bottom line. Do you want to help their bottom line or the Freedom Hut's bottom line? So that's, that's important. You want to know how you can help? You know, uh, drink Black Rifle coffee. You know, get, get my pillow. Buy some gold and silver from Oxford Gold Group. You know, go down the list. That, that helps. That helps. Because it keeps it keeps us in business, which allows us to make the argument. I'm, I'm a capitalist. I'm very open about this. All right, Richard. Buck, on Dr. Seuss, there's an interesting book called Dr. Seuss Goes to War, where it shows all of his political cartoons and propaganda through World War II. He was a product of his time and didn't like Japanese people. Over the next 50 years, he grew and didn't hate those minorities anymore. Isn't that a good thing? Shouldn't he be celebrated? If there are offensive pages in the books, why don't they just pay the artist to change the offensive page? Isn't that better than just banning the books? I'm against banning books and don't like art being changed, but all of Dr. Seuss's work should be available. The left will not stop at these six books. Hold your banned books and your shields high. You know, Richard, I I, I agree with your sentiments about book banning, certainly, and and I'm trying to make that case all the time. I, I don't know that much about Dr. Seuss. Some people, I feel like they were reading all of his books growing up as kids. They know them all really well. I just know some, I know some of the big ones. You know, I know Green Eggs and Ham. I know uh, The Grinch. You know, I, I know some of the big ones. I don't know, like of the six Dr. Seuss books that were banned, I'm going to tell you, I don't think I ever read those six books as a kid. So you know more about Dr. Seuss, I think, Richard, than I do. Uh, but in general, book banning is troublesome, uh, and it's something that we want to avoid. And as a culture, as a society, we should we should fight against this. We're losing something very precious about what it means to be an American when we can't share ideas on the internet without fear of punishment. Even ideas that are that are mainstream or, or might even have majority support among the American population. Uh, and when we're banning books, the next step is burning books. So we're on guard for this. All right, team, that's the show for today. Please pass the buck. Tell a friend. Back tomorrow. Shields high.